Welcome! Welcome all you St. Louis City fans to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me from somewhere in West County is a man that has his own thoughts about getting involved in the St. Louis City SC mascot debate. It's Sean Campbell. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. On top of the world, three wins in a row. It's it's great to be a City fan, and who knows, maybe this debate will finally settle down, and people will realize that calling us the dogs is just a stupid nickname. Yep. Uh, producer Mason's manning the boards, but uh, he won't be on air. He's uh, f- the big boy's feeling a little puny today, and Chris is uh, got himself overextended, so it's just me and Sean. And Sean, why don't you tell the folks what your idea was for the uh, the nickname? Well, I wasn't. I, I'm not sure how well this is going to go over with some of y'all. I mean, maybe you listeners would love it, but I was thinking since there's this whole kerfuffle about the soccer capital and we all know that St. Louis is the real soccer capital of America, we could start calling the team the Senators. I I think it could work. Yeah, it sounds awfully esoteric to me. You know, um, maybe we should look at some sort of indigenous animal that uh, everyone can associate with the area around St. Louis, you know, like the Cardinal. Oh, no, wait, wait, no, wait, wait, we can't wait, do that wait, one. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's taken. That um, might get us in some actual trouble. I've seen it uh, referenced to call them the Hellbenders, which is an uh, endangered salamander uh, native to the area. Not bad. You know, FC Cincinnati picked up the nickname the Garys because it had something to do with the naming of their mascot. It looked like a Gary on the uh, supporter shield. You know, we could go with something like the Owls. Or how about this? The Loos. Oh, I've got I've got one. If we're going for, you know, just names, why don't we just go with the Oz, you know? We got Ozzy <laughs> Smith. Oz. We could you know what? Take it a step further. We'll call ourselves the Wizards. How about that? Yeah, just uh, <laughs> We'll steal a name back from Kansas City since they're trying to steal ours. Uh you know, this we could just call ourselves a trade and a, a name trade between two clubs. <laughs> you know, naming ourselves the lose may not work because, uh, you know, they start playing poorly and the season's going in the toilet. It's a little too apropos. Uh, I, I say we just let it go organically. And first of all, I hate the nickname, the dogs. Why? It's so generic, means nothing with the city other than. The current kit sponsor, which is more than likely going to change at some time in the future. I don't like that at all. That's a firm no for me on that. How do you feel about the the mooted nickname of the dogs? It's going to be a no for me, dog. If we're going to go with animals, we may as well lean into the Hellcats. But I think that's a better name for the overarching supporters section. Um, That way the Luligans don't get their name thrown in with everything that happens in, you know, in that section when it's may or may or may not be their members doing it. But I think Hellcats would be better served as a supporter section name. You might have to be onto something with that. Um, you got the mural in the pub. It's got the tie-in to the ownership family of the club. Uh, there might be something to that. Yeah, I heard, a, I think it was Jake Ziven doing the Apple broadcast of the home match against Charlotte actually referred to the supporter section of the Luligans. I don't want to speak for the St. Luligans on this, but I don't think they'd be happy with the whole supporter section taking on their uh, supporter group name. Um, 
and it's just a bad look. So need to come up with a name for that so the media doesn't drive it because they're going to misname it, it appears. But nicknames is not why we're here. How about this nickname for St. Louis City? The Winners. Yeah, they're doing a pretty good job of that so far in the season. Uh, they did go out to Portland. Uh, they did play in the uh, damp and the cold. And they walked away with their third straight victory to begin the season. The mark only matched in MLS history for an expansion franchise by the Seattle Sounders. Uh, the game itself, City had a, uh, well, a little surprising uh, starting lineup. Uh, not surprising was Roman Berkey in goal. You had Tim Parker and Kyle Hebert in the back. Jake Nowitzki and John Nelson as your fullbacks. Uh, Indiana Vasilev did get a start in the midfield, as did Miggy Perez. You had uh, Rasmus Alm and Edward Leuven, along with Jared Stroud being uh, the three behind uh, the striker Klaus. Portland had a strange starting lineup to begin the game as well. You still had David Bingham in goal. Uh, you had uh, Dario Zuperic and uh, Larry's Mabiala at the back with Juan Muscara. Uh, oh, they actually had uh, Zach McGraw in the back as well with the three back line with Muscara and Claudio Bravo as the fullbacks. Eric Williamson, Diego Chara, Christian Paredes, and Santiago Moreno in the midfield. And Nathan Fogaccia up front. So Fogaccia's a change. Evander wasn't in because supposedly he picked up a knock and they were going to limit his minutes. And uh, that went on, you know, for a little bit. But the timeline of the game, <laughs> City looked like an expansion in the first few moments of the match. Uh, second minute, they gave up a corner that Zach McGraw almost got to to score a goal. The resulting corner, he did get to and score a goal in the third minute. Uh, and Portland really seemed to be up and ready for it, but uh, it all started to trail down in the 12th minute when uh, Christian Paredes went down with a non-contact injury. It looked to be a pretty severe hamstrings. He had to be stretchered off, and that forced Evander to then come in much earlier than was anticipated, and it seemed to take the, uh, the wind out of the stadium and the players because Portland's just been devastated with injuries, especially in their attack, and losing Paredes hurts them very much. Good thing for us. Uh, they did uh, have control of the match for the first 25 minutes, I would say, though City was finding itself more and more and more and more into the game until the last, say, around 25 to the 30th minute uh, when City really was in the ascendancy. Uh, they were really putting a lot of pressure. And finally, in the 45-minute plus one, in stoppage time of the first half, Jared Stroud was able to get on to a cross from Rasmus Alm and score the goal to be the equalizer right as the two clubs went into the locker room. A uh, couple of chances early on. Then in the 66th minute, uh, head coach Bradley Carnell makes some substitutions for City. Stroud came off for Celio Pompeo. And uh, Tomas Ostrak came on for Miggy Perez. Uh, therefore also Portland countered. They did bring off Evander in the 69th minute. Had been <laughs> nice. terribly effective. Uh, brought in Nesgoda. Uh, and then in the 72nd, more substitutes for City. As uh, Rasmus Ong came on of, off in favor of Nico Giacchini. And Akil Watts came on, replacing Vas uh, Indiana Vasilev. Uh, apparently it worked because in the 76th, 75th minute, Kyle Hebert got his head to a uh, 
lovely cross that happened to bounce in the box and knocked it in. And then to finish up the game, Portland then pushing for it, uh, took off Bravo, went to Loria on the wing to get a little more attacking presence. And uh, Santiago Moreno came off for Diego Gutierrez. And the 86th minute, Carnell Counter bringing in the trialist and just signed player Lucas Bartlett to shore up the back line, bringing off John Nelson. Didn't do any good for Portland. City held on to that 2-1 advantage thanks to Kyle Hebert's goal and took the win. On the road, second road win out of uh, three matches, third straight win to begin their MLS account. Very exciting stuff. And uh, everybody just thrilled, just thrilled. As a matter of fact, we're spoiled. It, it can't last forever, folks. There's going to be a setback somewhere, and we're going to be devastated because the start's been so fantastic. But let's take a look at uh, what happened with these goals. Uh, the first one was for Portland. McGraw scored off that corner. Anything you saw on this one, Sean? I, I I think it was just a product of, you know, trying to get into the game and Portland wanted to come in on the front foot and and really press to get that first goal and then do their classic sit back because they, 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 they try to be a pressing team, but they really aren't. Um, but they took advantage of City trying to get to their game and not being completely organized and they got an early corner out of it and then turned that into another corner from the other side that then found its way in the back of the net. Uh, McGraw managed to get unmarked and, and put a, put a beautiful header on it. I cannot lie. It was a good, it was a beautiful goal, but you, you hate to see it when it's against the hometown boys. Um, but honestly, it, it just looked like we weren't quite set defensively off the jump and, and Portland just had that quick step on us and it came, came back to bite us in the butt. It's not unfamiliar to to those of us that watched city two last season. We saw that, quite a bit more often than I would have liked to, but hey, it, it is what it is. We now know how to actually come back and and get the win from that instead of just playing for a tie. Yeah, we come back in all three of the wins so far. Uh, yeah, it was. It looked like some of the changes, maybe everybody wasn't set, and uh, being weak on, you know, being vulnerable on corners was something that reared its head in pre preseason, and it did bite them here. Uh, and then the rest of the half played out with uh, Portland slowly losing ground to City in dominance of the game. And City had their chances, plenty of them, but they got the one that they really needed just before they went in the locker room at half, thanks to Jared Stroud. Mentioned it earlier, Rasmus Alm with a nice injury, uh, entry pass, low cross into the box. I think he was looking for Klaus, had him. It was a touch behind him. Klaus mishit it. Uh, just got his toe to it, however you want to call it. But that knocked it directly into the path of uh, Jared Stroud's late run into the box. He was in the right place at the right time. Did a nice strike. Got it past uh, Bingham. And uh, we were tied going in the locker room. And everybody felt a lot of relief with that. Because uh, City had really put a lot of pressure under Portland. And it was important to get that goal uh, before the break. Don't you think, Sean? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it looked like Portland, like they, they took that early jump, they took that early goal, and then they kind of took a, a, their, their foot off the gas just a little bit and said, you know what, we're a late game team, we can we can hold on to this and just try to close this down. If we see an opportunity, we'll strike. But um, in doing so, they gave a little bit too much to City and, and we ended up taking that press and really started not, not quite carving them up, but uh, 
really took the chance to take the game to them, got to our game proper before they could. And as, as we saw, we almost got another gift goal at, at, you know, at their late. And then we ended up getting one right before the half and getting one right before the half is always, always crucial because then you can go into the halftime, you've got the momentum on your side and then you get, you can get a nice little break and then really come off on the front foot in the second half and take the game even further to them and really put their, their nose to the grindstone and see what happens. Yeah, and coming out of the break, uh, both teams had wonderful chances but couldn't score. Um, and uh, it pretty much was back and forth. This was a very exciting game, a high-tempo match, uh, fun to watch. Uh, Portland is no slouches, especially Providence Park. Uh, they played pretty well. City, I thought, was all in all mostly better. The game flow, if you've uh, seen the charts for it, was pretty even. Possession was dead even at the end of the match. It's a pretty even handed match altogether. Uh, but the big winner came from Kyle Hebert. Uh, this all happened. Uh, they got a free kick pretty far out, but uh, Edward Loven stepped over it. He's been so great on set pieces so far. And this one was a beautiful delivery right into the heart of the box, right in front of the goal. Somehow Portland couldn't get ahead to it, or, or could city basically as it falls right in the middle of the box bounces up perfectly for kyle hebert to get his head on it he put on a nice header drove it into the net and uh city took the 2-1 lead that they were able to hold on to without a lot of sweat not a lot of nervousness uh one chance for portland at the end of the match we'll get into that but uh that wrapped it up and city is atop the supporter shield with three wins, nine points out of three games. And in the history of MLS, there's only been one team out of what 18, 19 in the last few years that have been in this position that failed to make the playoffs. And uh, with an expanded playoffs of up to nine teams, uh, you would think that city's in sitting pretty good. If they just continue to play well and solid, I don't expect them to win every match. Of course, um, uh, of course, it also depends upon what you're going to deem the playoffs. I, The ninth place team playing that uh, play-in game, I don't know if I really want to give them credit for being in the playoffs. At least the winner of the match makes it an eight-team playoff. Maybe as history goes down, uh, I might refer to just the eight uh, being playoff teams, but it still would be nice to have that extra match. Yeah, uh, no, it definitely, it definitely feels kind of off to call that ninth team a playoff team just like it feels kind of off to to call the any anyone in baseball that makes that wild card play in game a playoff team it's it's more of a tie break game than it is a a an actual playoff game in my mind but i i i don't think anyone in their right mind had any idea that we'd be sitting this well this early on in the season um it's really setting up to to give us a good shot to make the playoffs for sure. Uh, I think it's a little early to be talking about playoffs, but, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, when you start three and oh, in, in a league like this, where it's, it's really hard to string together three wins in a season at any point in the season, let alone start off with three wins. So, I mean, I, I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't make the playoffs, you know, knock on wood, barring any major catastrophic injury. But I, 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 the team looks good, and I don't think anyone expected us to be looking this good this early and, and have this many points. Now, they do look good. Um, word of caution to everybody. Austin, if you remember, they started out their expansion season on the road while they were waiting for their beautiful stadium to be completed, uh, and they had a very good record 
uh, in those first, what was it, as much as nine games they played on the road before they got home? Uh, I think they I, got five wins out of that. It was a lot of road games. We'd have to we'd have to yeah. ask the Moon Tower boys. They would know for sure. Yeah, I don't recall. But I remember they were very impressive on that. They got to the home matches, and then kind of the wheels came off, or they got found out, and the rest of the season went very poorly for them, to be quite honest. So this can happen where you start off hot, and then as the other teams really get into full fitness, into the swing of it, the tapes out there, um, you can be brought back to earth. So there's great reason to be optimistic. This team is good, looks good and solid, but you just uh, don't get too far ahead of yourselves this early yet, I would say. Oh, yeah, we don't want to fly too close to the sun as as fans and be like, oh, we're going to beat the entire league. We're going to go undefeated. But at the same time, on that they figure you out note, it seems like I, I have seen a diff, a, a, enough differences in the tactics that Carnell brings out every, you know, these last three games that it's not the same team every single game. We're not looking at the same tactics every single game. It's he, he switches things up a little bit to play to the opponent, um, which you don't really see a lot of in soccer, period. Really, a lot of it is, you know, you have your coach who has his mindset for his formation and his players and what he wants them to do. And they go out there and they try to play their game. And then it's whoever's game is better wins. But in with Carnell, it seems like he there's fluidity to the city identity. That is this hard nosed, high energy, high pressing system. But it changes much like yeah. the course of a, of a river, because we all know that Mississippi River, you know, sometimes it goes backwards if it has to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 good to see and i think that's very very well represented because it, in looking at the team of the week carnell is coach of the week again and jared stroud made the bench for team of the week and uh, i believe it was kyle hebert made made the first 11 the starting 11 for that team of the week and i i, I think the fact that it, there is that fluidity and you never know who is actually going to be the threat it's not always just klaus on the ball that you need to worry about um it it it's showing in the fact that we're getting results and against really good teams too. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that's going on with Bradley Carnell right now in which he has a very defined system style of play. It's easy to buy into. Everybody can be on the same page because you knew what you were getting coming in to the squad. They're holding up to it, but he's also, you know, tactically flexible for game by game. So you've both got solidity in what you want to do and then tactically adjust within that system, and it's working so well early on. Uh, Let's take a look at some of the key moments in the match. Um, Of course, one of them came very early in the match, and uh, there's an old uh, myth, legend, uh, in the game of soccer that uh, you don't want to score too early, and Portland may have scored too early in this one. It did seem to shake and rattle a city out of their early game jitters that they seem to have and get their focus back into the match. It also changes the game flow. Portland's ready to defend that lead. So maybe they're not on the front foot as much as they would have been, though they did keep attacking for the next few minutes uh, on that one. Uh, did you, uh, did you think that perhaps that had something to do with the way that the game played out the rest of the way because they scored earlier? Or am I just being silly? I, I, I mean, I've heard that myth before. You don't want to score too early, but at the same time, I mean, if you're scoring early and scoring often, then you're just your offense is just clicking that day. But it's but like I said earlier, it really seemed like Portland wanted to get the jump on us. 
and then sit back in there, you know, let the game come to them mentality. And I even had a friend text me as the goal was scored. He goes, I thought they weren't going to press us hard. And I was like, they usually don't. This is not normal for them. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, they settled back into that, you know, let the game come to them and and try to catch us on the counter. And we were just defensively strong from there on out. There was some iffy moments where we had to scramble a bit and Berkey had to make a couple of big saves. But I really think what what ended up what ended up happening to them is they had this game plan of come out, get get an early one, get a quick one, and then we can sit back and we don't have to be as as high pressing because that's not what we know what how to do, if yeah, that makes any sense at all. It does. And and actually perhaps even more than the early goal, that early Christian Paredes injury uh really seemed to hurt them. Uh, probably emotionally because they've been so ravaged with injuries so far this season. Um, it also changes the game plan that they had set. That that probably was a key, a more of a key moment early in the match. Oh yeah. Of course, the goals are always a key moment. Any key moment outside of those that uh, stick out in your brain? Um, I think the key that I mean that sub subbing out for uh subbing Evander in for Paredes was a key moment, obviously. But I think what really ended up what not not necessarily key to the game itself. But the whole game plan was having to sub Evander back out because yeah. um, that that burns a sub like if he could have played the rest of the game like Blom did in, in the first in our first game match when Vasilev went down. Um, if we had to sub Blom back out, that takes another sub out and you actually to try to get back to your game plan there. It, it throws a whole nother switch into the mindset of the team that's on the field and what the coaches want to do. And I I think that Gio Savarese tried to do a little bit too much to change mid-game, and it really threw everybody off. And then looked like he wanted to switch back to their normal game plan of, you know, putting on the the the, the more proven attackers late game to try to get that that equalizer. Um it's so it's kind of hard for me to really pick a specific moment and in at least looking at this one, it seems like there was just a lot that really overarched the entire game as a whole. So picking one specific moment outside of every, you know, Evander coming in and then having to come back out and obviously goals, but yeah. And plus the uh, Evander substitution changed their whole game plan. And he really wasn't that effective anyway. And they were going to live in his minutes to protect him for the rest of the season. And he hasn't fit into the club just yet. Uh, you still see moments um, where you could see why they spent so much and why everybody's so high on him, but uh, uh, it takes time sometimes in MLS. Uh, one key moment for me was, I think this was around the 28th minute or so, uh, City was uh, down towards the goal, uh, the ball's rolling out after a deflection, Stroud is trying to shepherd it on out of bounds uh, for a corner. Uh, and very late, but legal, but right up against the line. Claudio Bravo gives him a shoulder, sends Stroud sprawling into the uh, ad hoardings around the pitch, and he took offense to that. Got a little bit of the red ass on there. Uh, The corner came kind of short. This was an interesting corner um, on the side of the goal, but short to him. He loses possession with a bad touch. Williamson gets it, and Stroud comes from behind and just takes him out, gets a yellow card. Uh, very 
at the epitome of trying to make up for a mistake while being angry at the same time. Not a good look to get a yellow card in the first half. You know, the entire pitch away from the opponent's goal, but he did. And I wonder if that did fire up City because from that moment until the end of the half, City was clearly the dominant club in, in the first half. Uh, it did seem to fire them up. And that uh, eventually led to all the pressure that uh, eventually Stroud got the equalizer right before halftime. Yeah, sometimes you just need that guy that that knows how to dabble in the dark arts, as we call it. Um, sure, he'll he'll get cards. It's going to happen. But if you look at every, you know, most most really good teams have that one guy that will go out and do something like that and get a card and somehow it lights a fire under their ass. Um, like it, it go, crossing sports again, you go back to hockey when the Blues had Ryan Reeves, you know, you needed some energy. He goes out there, bangs some heads and drops some gloves. And next thing you know, bam, that that team's on a roll. It it, it could it's a very similar concept. And I. I've seen it before with Roger Espinosa just absolutely destroying people in the midfield for KC. It sometimes that's what you need is just someone to lose their cool a little bit to really be like, look, guys, this is a big game. Let's care about this. Yeah, let's get going. Let's go. And did fire him up. There was a tangible change in the game from that moment on. Um, another key moment for me was very early in the second half. Uh, Nathan Vergaccia. There's a nice Portland break. He's got the ball on the near side. He is wide open. He just has to beat Perky. Uh, Berkey has a nice shot, and it just goes over uh, the top near corner. Barely missed. Good thing that didn't go in. That would have changed the game. That would have been 2-1 Portland at that point, but he just missed. And early in the second half, both teams had some good chances like that that they couldn't convert. Uh Kept everybody on their toes until uh, Hebert scored his goal later on. And then another key moment came very late. Um, everybody is still afraid of uh, what happened when Drusi put that wonderful header just off the crossbar at the last minute in Austin. Uh, in this one, it was Lucas Bartlett come flying in to the rescue. Portland had their, you know, it's obligatory in MLS. Everybody gets a last great chance to equalize or get to win. In this case, it was a cross that came in to right in front of the goal, uh, still was on the side. Bartlett comes flying in and sends it out uh, for a corner. Berkey did look to have it covered, but all in all, the whole play looked really awkward for City and kind of scary. And that's as close as Portland got in the end of the match from tying this up. And so I think yeah, that I think we're thinking moment, of the same but, moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was that I was about to say that that's not I didn't necessarily consider it a key moment, but it was something that really stuck out in my head um, because the ball was coming in across. Berkey looked to be going down to cover it and then just blasted, blasted out the end line. And as soon as as soon as Berkey popped up, he went right over to the defender. He's like, yeah, and they like get a really emphatic high five. And it really seemed like, you know. It, it wasn't key to the game itself in my mind so much as it's key to the identity of the club that it's, you know, you know you have Berkey back there and he's a great keeper, but as a defender, you have to still do everything in your power to try to make sure that ball doesn't go even close to him so he doesn't have to do his job. And it seems like Berkey is expecting that out of his defenders and they're on the same page, they're clicking well, and sure, Berkey's let up, what, three goals now in three games? four goals uh but all of them have been absolute absolutely gorgeous goals and it, it's not like he's letting in soft stuff he's 
stopping when he needs to. The defenders are making it so he doesn't have to do his job. That that is so that moment leads to me thinking that they really are connected. They're buying in and they're they're trying to play for each other instead of just trying to keep the number low. Yeah, the only thing that makes it key is the fact that Berkey looked like he was going down and diving to gobble it up and then lay on the ball. Uh, but if he doesn't get it cleanly and gives a bounce, then it becomes a very key moment uh, in the match because then St. Louis City would have been in a lot of trouble where that ball was. Um, and you've always got to be prepared because in MLS, if it's a close match, everybody always, always seems to get a great opportunity very at the death of the game um, to score a crucial goal. Um, so looking back on it all, uh, in this match, Sean, what's some of the things that City did that you expected to see when you came in, coming into the match? Um, I definitely expected them to start, you know, take the first 10, 15 minutes to really kind of settle into the match, just because that's the nature of the game. It usually takes about 15 minutes to really get to your game. Um, they got to their game first, and I totally expected them to do that because, again, Portland was going to let them not necessarily walk all over them, but let them play with the ball and kind of force them to have possession and City did very well with that. They got to their game. They executed their game plan perfectly. It, it well, not perfectly, but very well. And it just was. It was expected to see City play well and get lots of chances, win balls high up the pitch, and they did exactly that. Yeah, a couple of things I expected to see was them to score off a set piece, especially a corner. Portland's very, very, very vulnerable there, and they did. Um. And uh, also expected City to fall behind on the scoreboard, and they did that very early. Uh, just because playing on the road, expansion team against a good team at home, I just expected that. Also expected them to fight back and get back into the match. Uh, I also had expected a very physical game, and St. Louis City was very physical. Uh, the field was often littered with uh, Portland players and quite a few City ones as well. One thing that was striking, though, is the Portland players didn't whine and moan. They got their treatment. They took a moment to themselves. They got up, kept playing, unlike Charlotte, who just had to whine and moan all the time and forgot they were actually playing. They did the same thing in Atlanta in their loss this week. So it seems to oh, be yeah. they, they something inherent in Charlotte. Yeah, it's, it's something about the culture there. They just... They like to complain about everything, and they have to be right. It's almost as if the fans going after Matt Baker is not just because they don't like Matt Baker, but because that's just how anyone around the Charlotte sports sphere is, is that's just the mentality they have. Yeah. They can win the attendance battle and they seem to think that matters in the results. No, the Last only number that I matters there, is the one on the board. nothing in a tiebreaker anywhere in the sport. No, the only, the only numbers that matter are the ones up on the board at the end of the day. Doesn't that's even matter right. what your pass count was, your completion, that's just for us and other people to, to sit there and have a conversation about how the game went. What really matters is who gets three or one or zero. Yep. And uh, this is a little longer list for me. Maybe it is for you. What was it that City did that you did not expect coming into the match? I did not expect Miguel Perez to get his first start. Yeah. I did not expect him to also get his first yellow card in this game. I did not expect him to turn out to be. Uh, it, it it seems like he has some. He needs some more polish on his game. But if he could, if he could cut those, you know, shave off those rough edges and still be the destroyer in the midfield that he was, we could have another Blom on our hands. Except this one's a home grunt. 
It, yeah. It's beautiful to see. I did not expect that performance out of Miggy. Also, I don't know if he likes Miggy if, or if he prefers Miguel. If you're listening, Miguel, please let us know. Or if someone that knows him, I would like to know player nicknames that we could use and what they prefer. He's a 17-year-old homegrown. He just wants you to say his name right now. <laughs> Later on, he'll have a definitive idea. Oh, I already have a chant for him, and I tried to start it at the at the uh, the first watch party. Um but I don't think anyone else really heard me because we were all going a little bit crazy because it was just a big game. Um, yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to organically start chants. It's a little hard to get those started when you got 22,000 already chanting. Nobody can hear you. Uh, another One thing that I did not expect was them to really push, push Edward Leuven far up into the attack, almost like a true number 10. It worked out pretty well. And, of course, probably a lot of that also was all of this changes perhaps was done because uh, Blum did not play. I knew he was sick coming into the match, but uh, I didn't expect him to sit it out completely. And if uh, he caught the same crud that me and apparently Mason has as well this past week, that was pretty rough stuff, man. I can understand why he uh, couldn't make the match. The other thing that surprised me here is, City didn't go all in on the high press in this match. They didn't overextend themselves. It was sort of a a lesser bit of the press. And I think that had a lot to do with the respect for Portland's counter. Um, also saw Vasilev playing in the back. Did not push forward very much in this match. And I think he was tasked with uh, hanging back uh, in case of a Portland counter. Yeah, That's a I... wise decision. Portland's very effective on the counter. I think a lot of that really has to do with because with Blom not playing, um, because if Blom plays, I think they push. I think they start Vasilev in the middle up up front or Ostrak, one of the two, and then you know you have Leuven and Blom back as the 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 hangback pair. That one will go forward and they will switch off because they can both play box to box, but Blom will more than likely be the one that hangs back. You have that like intermediary between a, a true center attacking mid and. A, a center defensive mid, but without Blom, I think they wanted to have both of the both of the center defensive mids actually hang back and you know respect that counter and have the more offensive minded Loven actually playing up the pitch and forcing the the issue up there, as opposed to the fluidity that we've seen from that triangle when Blom is in the game. Yeah, and uh, I expect that as well. That changes a lot when he's not there. Uh, but it could also have been that even with him, they would have been hanging back a little further. That is true. Uh, being I mean, team by team. Uh, it's probably a wise counsel against Portland, who Eric Williamson was brilliant in this match in the midfield for Portland, something I did expect from them. His ability to carry the ball through the midfield uh, really was effective in breaking many of the presses that uh, St. Louis City had. We still won a lot of balls, still make hard tackles, and that will lead off uh, some of my other thoughts from the match is, I just want to say that uh, I'm afraid that somebody sometime is going to come after Miggy Perez because the boy brings it hard, and he's new to the league, and somewhere some veteran's going to spot an opportunity and put in a really hard, devastating tackle on him. Uh, my money, if, if that's if that's what you're going for, my money's on on that first derby the first capital derby as i'm gonna start calling it yeah that very well could be 
Uh, and I know and exactly who's going to do it, too. And yeah, I, I already hate him for it. I was in uh, Carmadale uh, watching the match at Trey's Ombres when, when DirecTV finally got it on. For some reason, they had it set up an hour later. Uh, anyway, my new friend Tez, who is a youth soccer coach, he he pointed that out. Boy, he plays hard. Somebody's going to get him someday. Uh, and that's just the way it goes. He's got to be prepared. Uh, another thing I noticed is they're, they're not giving Klaus as much service as perhaps he actually is earning with all of his runs. He was showing some frustration in this match. Uh with people going ahead and taking their shot. Uh, but then again, he was also uh, once guilty of taking a terrible shot rather than passing to a wide open Rasmus Alm in this match as well. I so, think I, I, I personally feel like that's not so much a, a it, things not going to plan and that, you know, he's earning the, the pass. But at the same time, I think the plan is if you see an open shot and you see, you think you have a good enough opportunity, you have to put it on. I think yeah. that's more so Klaus just being like, oh, man, he, the striker he, mentality. he sees. Yeah, he's got the striker striker mentality. He can see he sees the pitch very well. He knows where to run, when to run, how to draw people out of place and still get open somehow. Um, but, you know, if you want that in a striker, though, you want him to be always wanting the ball to come to him. And but at the same time, not being that in such a way that if it doesn't get to him, he then thinks that there's something wrong with the team. I think that's just his his gamer mentality. He's a gamer, is what it is. He he wants the ball at his foot. That's what you want from a striker. But I don't think he's actually mad at the other players. I think he's just like he just sees it from a different angle and realizes, hey, I had the better shot. You could have passed it to me. And he's like, man, he just wants to score. Yeah. And that that's a good the good thing to have in moderation. But you need that in a striker. In other words, be the 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 young Cristiano Ronaldo, not the older Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh yeah, no, you don't want to be current Ronaldo because current Ronaldo yeah. is just a little. Yeah. Mason, <laughs> get the beep. And uh, another thing I, I got noticed: this was a physical match. Uh, we're going to say that every week for sure. Any other uh, thoughts that you had about the match? Um, nothing. Nothing comes to mind outside of just starting to look at you know, individual player performances. Uh, there was the, the one player that we have not talked enough about today that I think was honestly the best player on the pitch for Portland that wasn't named Eric Williamson was Moreno. He was involved in every single one of their attacks. He was dangerous on the ball. He was making runs off the ball. I really not enjoyed, but I saw a lot of good stuff from him. And if, 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 he's going to be a part of their major plans going forward. I think Portland's going to be doing some great things and he's going to be a danger going, you know, in the attack, in the counter, he's got speed. He has skill with the ball. He can see the field and get those passes in and out real quick. It's I'm surprised he didn't put one in the back of the net myself. Honestly, another impressive performer for Portland was Juan Mascaro. He's a very oh, young yeah. player as a fullback. He's a good one. Uh, he he was impactful on the match, as was Nathan Fogaccia. Uh Though he didn't score, uh, he was dangerous a lot of the match and had me a little worried. But for City, uh, some of the notable players, of course, as a designated team, it just seems so dirty to do this. But uh, Stroud, he was so good, and the Austin fans have to be wondering, is this the same guy that played for us? Because he didn't play like this for Austin. 
they didn't have that kind of a system in Austin. I think he's finally getting to play in the system that works best for him. And we, I see this all the time, especially over in Europe. They see a guy and it's like, oh, hey, he's great in this position. And then they go out and get him and then they put him in the position. But they're playing a completely different style or a completely different system. And they're wondering, well, why isn't he scoring? Why isn't he doing the same things? It's because you're using him wrong. You're using the wrong skill set. He's not going to fit in your position. He may be one of the best players at left wing just to throw a position out there. But if he's playing left wing in a, in a system that's not right for his skill set, he's not going to thrive. He's not going to do well. And you're going to end up moving on from him in like a year or two after a quote unquote failed experiment. Yeah, that you see that a lot. Well, remember, Austin picked him up in the expansion draft from the Red Bulls. Uh, so where he was used to this system, you can also even look back at Tim Parker. Houston picking him up from the Red Bulls, putting him in an entirely different system that doesn't suit him, and he just wasn't as good as he was with the Red Bulls and now with uh, City. Uh, another notable player, uh, got to give a shout-out to Miguel Perez. Uh, you know, he makes m some mistakes. That's typical of a young player, but he's a tough kid, and he looks like he belongs on an MLS pitch. Oh, Probably yeah. not starting material yet, but he seems to be gaining quite well in, into the system. Uh, I was impressed by him being able to do what he's done so far. He, he has done very well in, in the minutes that he's had, uh, showing absolutely why he deserves to be signed to the first team and not relegated to City 2 at the moment. As a 17-year-old, he does not look like he's playing like a 17-year-old, to be quite honest. He is playing like uh, like a man in this league and is doing very well at it. Granted, you're right, he does have some polishing up to do on his game but he deserves every inch of that contract and I, he, ha he still has to go to school every day i don't know yeah. how he does it if i had to pick a notable player on city though yeah honestly my money is on uh my money's on nervinsky we don't talk enough about the back line but they were the the wingbacks were very good in this game in in the in the fact that they played both sides of it very well and I just wanted to make sure we gave Nervinsky and Nelson a shout out. It is a designated team. We really, I, I, I can't pick one specific player outside of the goal scorers to be the guy. Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, Klaus was very good, making a lot of runs. He didn't get on the score sheet. And wow, that back heel that he fed. Uh, who was it he fed? Was it Alm that time? I yeah, think so. And then Alm shot it straight into the arms of, uh, of the goalkeeper. But, uh, Matt Doyle in his uh, armchair analyst uh, column gave it the pass of the week. It was something else on the break. He just turns around. It's out to him. He's further ahead. It just back heels it right to the player on the run. It was beautiful. Hebert's on uh, this list because he scored. And just again, if he didn't score, he probably wouldn't hurt his name much. But him that's or a good Parker. thing. But that's, that's a good, good thing. thing when it comes to a center back. We said it last week, and I'm going to say it every time. The less we hear about the center backs outside of them scoring a goal, the better. Yep. And uh, Hebert is kind of forcing a tough decision when Joachim Nielsen returns from his injury. Uh, champagne problems for Bradley Carnell. I just Tato wish Martino used to say. I, I just wish Josh Yarrow would get more, you know, be pushing for this a little bit more. I, I really want the best for him. And, you know, call me sentimental, but it's. It's because of that connection he made with the fans when he was captaining City too. I just, I just 
I want him to be amazing and get playing time more than just like 10, 15 minutes as a sub. But who knows? Yeah. We may never see you're, it. You're sentimental. Give me the guy that's the best in training. Uh, oh, no, and- that's totally fair. If Hebert's the better <laughs> player in training and deserves to play, more power to him. But I totally understand the decision. It, this is the heart talking, though. Fan favorite yeah. player is is Josh Yarrow. And uh, if I were to get a jersey from this team and I get it customized, I think I'm going Yarrow. That's a good call. Another one you could get that's probably even better call would be Edu Leuven. Uh, oh, I mean, everyone's going to have a Leuven jersey, though. That's oh, like saying everyone's going to. Gonna, that, that's like saying get a Pujols jersey. It's a he's safe pick. So, so impressive. Plus, he's sizable. He's a big guy in the midfield doing what he does. And still, everything in the attack seems to run through him. He's always around the ball, and that's crucial. It did seem like they tried to take him out of this game a little bit, and that worked, but he still had his his hand in a lot of things that were going on for City. I believe the term I've seen thrown around on FIFA, the video game, is either engine or maestro, because he's very good on the ball. Everything goes through him. He's crucial to everything that happens and but somehow even when they try to take him out of the game when Portland tried to take him out of the game he still somehow managed to be an important part of the game and I I mean we could we could go on and on and on about how great Leuven is and honestly if we wanted to pick a notable player every game it would be Leuven because he somehow manages to still have an impact on the game when he's being targeted to be minimized it's amazing to watch and of all the international player, outfield players for City, he was the most accomplished and probably the one that uh, Lutz Financial was uh, the happiest about being able to really land for this team. Uh, any other last thoughts before we wrap up our review of another gorgeous St. Louis City win, Sean? Last minute thought. Uh, I'm going to take a page out of Carnell's book. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but, you know, winning is great. It's it's great to enjoy the win for a couple of days, but we got to look forward. Next game ahead, everything's in the rearview mirror. Don't focus on it. We got the quakes coming up next. Focus on that game. Don't let don't let the rest be a distraction. Yeah, and don't look at last year's table for the quakes. They are far better this year. They've really improved that club so far in the early season. Probably as big a surprise as uh, City. Well, they're not playing quite as well as City, but. Uh, They've been a big surprise in MLS. Before we wrap up this show, breaking news just before we recorded this, and we're recording this uh, in the afternoon on Monday. Uh, Normally we record on Sunday, but because everybody was sick yesterday, we pushed it back to today. Uh, The U.S. Soccer Federation completed their investigation into the Burhalter reina family squabble, let's say. Uh, The family feud. Yeah. There was an independent investigation conducted by the law firm Austin and Bird. They found essentially no re- legal risks to the organization from the incident to preclude Greg Barhalter from being rehired as head coach. <laughs> this is so silly. This incident occurred 31 years ago when the Burhalters were teenagers, 18 years old, and dating while they were in college. This was literally were- before I was born when this happened. Yeah. Uh, there was drinking involved. Uh, and, uh, both of them self-reported to their coaches at North Carolina and, uh, Greg Berhalter voluntarily sought counseling and performed community service. They went on to get married, uh, 
and have been married ever since. And uh, any of us among us that think that you be, should be precluded from a job for getting in a fight with your new girlfriend while you're an 18 year old in college while drinking. Uh, I have nothing in common with you whatsoever. <laughs> I have to say. I'm just all I'm going to say is it happened once they did what they had to do to right the wrong. There's no seems to be no pattern of this happening multiple times throughout their relationship. And I mean, what else can you do? It it just seems like it, it seems like Claudio's just looking for something to be mad about because Gio isn't the big star on the team and isn't the new quote-unquote Captain America that, you know, Christian Pulisic has been for so long. And maybe it has to be the fault that uh, coming out of this investigation is that the Reynas look to be some of the worst soccer parents anyone has ever seen. Uh, There is a long history of Claudio Reyna meddling with the Federation about about his son, on this, uh, they did say that the Burhalters were very forthcoming, seemed to be very honest and open in the investigation. They said the Reynas were not. Only uh, only Mrs. Reyna actually talked once to them in late December, and their stories in the media seemed to change from what they were told. And Claudia Reyna never really talked to them about the whole situation. And uh, they did say there didn't seem to break any rules for the Federation. Though potentially, Claudio Reyna may have run afoul of the FIFA Code of Ethics because while he was meddling on behalf of his own son, he was an official with NYCFC in Austin at the time that he sent all these communications. And these had been going on from as far back as 2017. Uh, So coming out of this whole thing, the Reynas look very, very bad on this. And if you want more information, it's going to be all over soccer media everywhere today, tomorrow and for the weeks upcoming on this. Uh, anything else you want to add to this that we haven't talked about already? Um, nothing comes to mind, but nope. I'm sure something just... will happen after it's been posted, and then I'll just facepalm about it and move on. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'll post thing... it in the Discord. So join the Discord, everybody, and come yep. see my afterthoughts. And uh, one thing that came out of the investigation, they said that U.S. soccer should put in the bylaws something to prevent this in the future. Probably a good idea. Uh, a whole ugly affair and a colossal waste of the Federation's time when they need to hire a general manager and a new head coach or the same head coach. So just a terrible, terrible thing to be going on. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. And uh, I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your resident cave dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>